I am so excited to be with you guys tonight. Uh, and I, you played like my favorite worship song, and I, we didn't ask you to do that. And now I've, I've got a lot of warm and fuzzies, so I'm pumped. I am Ken, uh, and I am Andrea's wife. I just want to address the elephant in the room. Uh, my name tag today looks like it says L Hen. So if you call me L Hen, I'll accept it tonight, but I am, I am Ken. Two years ago, Andrea, two years-ish, Andrea started here, and at first, I have to tell you guys a secret, you guys were really intimidating to me. And now, I get to teach, and a lot of you guys are my friends. And that's just, aww. So this series has been super challenging for me because it reminds me about how hard life is sometimes. A uh, little background about me, I grew up uh, in, I love my family, they're amazing. I have uh, two brothers and a sister, and so my older brother and I are like the stereotypical rough-and-tumble athletic brothers, okay? We're always getting in fights, we're bickering, we're constantly prodding at each other, just trying to, you know, you guys have relationships like this with your siblings, right? Anyone? Just constantly getting on each other's nerves. And then my sister comes along, okay? And now my sister is also a stereotype, but she's the complete other end of the spectrum. She's like the stereotypical angel child. Never does anything wrong. Everyone loves her. And so uh, I remember one year we had an extended family Christmas, right? So aunts and uncles, grandma, everybody, all the cousins, and everybody's getting presents for everybody, right? So I'm 10, and I am pumped because of just the sheer amount of presents that are potentially coming my way. So we get there, and obviously when you're 10 and you get to a Christmas party, where do you, where do you go? What are you looking for? You all whispered it. You can say it out loud. It's okay. The presents. You're going to find the presents, right? So I start, you know, thumbing through the presents, trying to see, like, how many I'm going to get. And to my dismay, there were only three, which, mm, too bad, so sad. I'm still going to make the best of it, right? Not a big deal. So the time comes, we all gather around, and at first it starts out fine, no big deal. And then as I'm sitting there, I realize that one of the great injustices of the early 2000s is unfolding right in front of me. And I have my three presents, and then my sister, who at this point is six, right? You're getting presents for a six-year-old, has a literal like heaping mound of presents. Like the presents are falling over. There's just no way to keep them all contained. She had like 15. And so I'm sitting there and my blood is boiling, right? At least I would remember the presents. That, there's a phrase that we're going to say a lot tonight. And I didn't deserve to only get three presents that Christmas, Okay. I didn't deserve this. But see, as we get older, we start to experience this, this feeling in different ways. Uh, whether we get uh, an unfair grade on a paper that we think we crushed, or we get broken up with, or we unexpectedly lose our job. I didn't deserve this. 
We see it in big ways. We see things like famine and war and racism and sexism and homophobia, rape, loss of a loved one, depression. I didn't deserve this. There's a word we're going to toss around a bit tonight. Uh, I just want to make sure we're all on the same page when we're using it, okay? And we're going to use this word injustice. Injustice is the absence of justice. But that's kind of a, like, you can't define a word by using the word, right? So it's a violation of right or of the rights of another, unfairness. So I'm a big history guy. Here's some examples. Uh, the colonization of the Native Americans, they were just living their lives. And the colonizers came along and genocide. They didn't deserve that. Jim Crow in the South, the internment of Japanese Americans during World War II, the Holocaust. Injustice is when one person or a group values their own needs, comfort, beliefs, or desires over the value of another person or group. Just like when all my aunts and uncles thought of the adorable princess niece instead of the 10-year-old annoying, rude, awkward ginger. And we hear a lot about justice in our world today, social justice, court cases, women's rights, LGBTQ rights, voting rights, all of these revolve around this idea of striving to correct an injustice towards groups of people. Now, almost always our culture pits the two sides against each other. It's us versus them. And all these things are noble things, right? Like we should strive to live in a world where everyone is treated equally and we have the same access to the resources made available in our society. But what about when injustice impacts us? I grew up a middle-class white family, right? And the first time that I saw real injustice, uh, I was in college on a missions trip. Uh, but just weeks before we left for the trip, I played baseball growing up, and I suffered a really catastrophic uh, shoulder injury. And it was the kind of injury as an athlete that immediately when it happens, you know you're never going to play your sport again. And I'm sitting there the weeks leading up to a missions trip, and I'm so angry. I'm so angry at God because he took something away from me. I didn't deserve this. So we go on this mission trip. Those of you going on a mission trip here in a couple of weeks, don't go on your mission trip angry at God because he will straighten you out on the trip. I went to a city called Santiago, and in Santiago there is a place that is simply called the hole. So there's this river that runs through the city, and imagine like a coliseum where the, the land slopes up dramatically on both sides of the river. So what happens, here's a picture, the sewage, the trash, all the waste from the whole city flows down the river and collects in massive piles of trash. Now people have homes on the sides of this coliseum. And families would get stuck in the hole. They couldn't get a job. They couldn't leave. So every day, they would go down into the hole and sift through the garbage to try and find food for the day or something they could sell. Gangs controlled this area. They controlled the hole. So drugs, 
crime and prostitution were common. At the time, the average age of a mom giving birth was 14. So we went to an orphanage, and the amount of kids in this orphanage was overwhelming to me. Here I was, upset with God that I was hurt. While all of these kids are growing up in literal human waste without parents in a grotto controlled by gangs. They didn't deserve this. I think that's the most challenging thing about this series. How do we praise, how could those kids possibly praise God in that situation? So we're going to look at a passage of scripture where Paul and Silas suffered a massive injustice and look at how they responded to it. So we're in Acts chapter 16, and the story starts in verse 16. If you want to turn to it and follow along, you're welcome to. But here's the recap. So Paul and Silas are in a town called Philippi, and they're staying with their friend, Lydia, and they're just hanging out and having a great time. There's not like massive uh, church gatherings going on. They're just meeting with people. And while they're there, there's this woman, a slave girl who has a demon. And the demon gives her the ability to tell the future. Kind of a crazy, crazy story so far, right? So the problem is, as Paul and Silas are going about their day, this girl keeps following them around, shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God. Kind of like that annoying sibling we talked about earlier. Like, that's what I'm imagining. Just constantly poking you, trying to get a reaction out of you. So after a couple days, Paul is annoyed, short fuse, and casts out the demon. Kind of a crazy thing. This story keeps getting crazier. So verse 19, when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Now remember, Paul and Silas, uh, haven't done anything. They delivered this girl from her demon, which is in itself an act of writing an injustice, right? So the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. So here we are, right? We have been beaten. We have been chained up. No trial. We're brought in front of people, and they said, yeah, throw them in prison. They didn't deserve this. They didn't do anything wrong. But in this story, we get one of the best examples of praise while you wait. They're not going anywhere. They're stuck in jail. In verse 26, it says, Suddenly, oh, sorry, verse 25. We can't get to verse 26 without doing verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. So they're sitting here in shackles, bruises and cuts all over their body, and they are praising God. No idea what's going to happen to them. No idea what is next for them. The thing that they hold on to is that God is still in control. God is not far from us when we face injustice. And in this situation, he intervenes in an incredible way. Verse 26, it says, Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. 
At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. So holy smokes, right? Like literally God shakes the earth and the shackles come off and the doors swing open. God sees the injustice that Paul and Silas face. He sees how they respond and how they praise him in the midst of that. And he does a miracle to reconcile that injustice. God cares about the injustice that we face. Our God is the same God that freed the slaves in Egypt, the same God that ended child sacrifices, the same God who fed his starving people in the desert with manna from heaven, He's the same God that died on the cross for us. When God sees injustice in our world, it breaks his heart. God cares about injustice. And so we're all facing challenges and injustice in our lives, right? There's things that are happening that we're waiting to have changed, or maybe we can't even understand why they've happened. God is not far from you. His heart breaks in that same pain that you are suffering. It's not God's design. It's not how God designed our world to be. In fact, he promises that someday it will end, that there will be a change. In Revelation, he promises he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. I'm gonna give you two things tonight and I've already given you the first one. If you forget everything else, hold on to these two things. The first is that God cares about injustice. He cares about your injustice. But let's read on in the story. Verse 27, the jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house, and at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, and immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. So the jailer wakes up, and don't forget this important part, right? The jailer is an active participant in Paul and Silas's injustice. He is the one that put them in shackles. He is the one that has locked them in prison. He's about to take his life. Paul says, we're all still here. And I think there's something in there that our culture misses about injustice. And that is that God cares about reconciliation. What is reconciliation? What's the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation? So forgiveness is suffering a wrong, right? And saying, that's okay, I won't hold you accountable. But it stops right there. The relationship often is impacted or broken entirely. I had a friend in college, uh, her name was Gabby, and I met her about one year after her sister was killed uh, by a drunk driver. Talk about an injustice, right? This random man made a horrible choice and took her sister's life. 
you may or may not know this about court and how it works, but it takes a long time. So when I met her, it was just a little bit before she was finally going to get to talk to this guy in court. And in my head, as this guy has now lost his family, lost his friends, he's a menace to society, in my head, I'm like, good, lock him away. He doesn't deserve anything. This pain that he's suffering, it's justified. And I asked her, what are you going to say to him? And she said, I'm going to say what you did was terrible, but I love you anyway. I forgive you, and if you'll let me, I will be your friend. They still write letters to each other today. And that's the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Reconciliation is about restoration. It's about taking something broken and making it whole again. And it's hard. It's not something that, as humans, we are wired to do in our sinful nature. But that is why in the midst of the waiting, praise is so important. Because as we're waiting in the midst of uncertainty and trying to figure out how to respond to this horrible thing that's going on in our lives, praise changes something in us. The same way that my friend could look at the person that killed her sister and say, I love you, I want to be your friend, is because God changed her heart. In the midst of her waiting, she praised God. Now, not every situation has neat and tidy resolutions. Sometimes the injustices that we face, we don't even get to see the resolutions to. But God cares. He cares about what's happened to those suffering the injustice and those who are the bringers of it. God cares about reconciliation. And that's what Jesus really did on the cross. He made a way for us to be reconciled, to repair and restore our relationship with him. So I mentioned my missions trip before. Um, and this was the first time that I saw Praise While You Wait. And it changed my life. Um, I went down into the hole, and uh, we were there with an orphanage, right? And we can throw that picture up on the screen, but the joy and the peace and the hope that those adults that we talked with and the kids that we hung out with was not theirs. Because in the midst of this horrible, broken situation with no resolution in sight, they would still worship, and they were still praying, and they were still praising God. So my friend now actually works for a nonprofit in that area, and uh, it's super cool because I get to get updates on how things are going. Um, but the important thing is that God cares about injustice and the reconciliation piece. So remember, there were gangs and prostitution, and there was no resources whatsoever. And today, because of faithfulness, there's a church and a school and medical facilities. And the gang and the people are working together to, on a project to improve the water flow of the river so that there won't be a massive landfill in the middle of the hole. Sometimes God works through injustice in an instant. 
and he shakes the ground and brings reconciliation, but sometimes it's years, and sometimes we don't get to see that reconciliation, but our heart, our posture as Christ followers is to praise him, to worship him in the midst, in the waiting we praise, because God cares about your injustice, and he also cares about making all things new through reconciliation. His heart breaks for us, and he wants to bring reconciliation to all of his people. Will you guys pray with me? Lord, um, there is so much brokenness in this room and in our world, and I don't have answers. I don't have the words to say, but you do. And in the midst of that brokenness, help us to remember that you do something in us when we choose to praise you in the midst of that. That you change our hearts, you change our minds, you give us eyes to see as you do. Because you are at work redeeming and restoring our world as broken as it is, as bleak as it looks sometimes, you are still there and you are still in control. And you love us. And you're not far from us. We need you, Lord, in Jesus' name.